Thank you for holding your applause till the end of the show. Now, I'm here in my basement, and normally what I do is play my guitars down here. So I thought I'd have a little fun with you this morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, I'm concerned about your hair, though, because my hair is not a hairdo, but a hair don't. It's, next week's probably going to have to wear a hat. It's getting bad. It's, it's hair ridiculous. But anyway, I hope you're doing well. I love you. Deeply miss, um, you know, being in person together. But looking forward to when things change and we're able to do that. In the meantime, church online. And I believe God has a word for you this morning of encouragement. So let's seek him together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and helpful to everyone listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was a little boy, my dad took me to see Rocky. You know, Rocky Balboa, hey Rocco. He took me to see Rocky. And I remember being so enamored by his courage. The courage that he, he found, you know, he was a, a guy that was defeated, washed up, discouraged, but, a, but an opportunity showed up that changed his life to be able to fight the champion Apollo Creed. You know, the, the other 14 movies that follow along have that same theme of, of courage, you know. Uh, who doesn't love a, a great story or a movie that involves, you know, imminent defeat, you know, defeat is right on the doorstep and the hero comes in and saves the day. Like we love those kind of stories. I, I know I, I sure do. I think of Lord of the Rings, the battle of Helm's Deep, when the orcs and the evil powers were about to take Helm's Deep, but Gandalf shows up right on time, just like he said he would, and they defeat the orcs. And then you have, uh, at the end of Lord of the Rings, you know, it looks like the orcs again are going to take over the world and evil was going to have its way. But Frodo, right, he destroyed the ring of power and saved everybody. In the Bible, numerous times, there's the phrase, but God. And it might be the most important phrase in all the Bible, but God. The phrase, you know, when we say, but God, it's, it's God's active intervention. It's his active hand of grace to step in and to interrupt, to intervene into somebody's life, to change the course of their life, to change the course of their direction. I'm so thankful for that phrase. We see it. I, I picked out a, a handful to share with you. Genesis 8.1, things look bleak for Noah, right? The world had been flooded, but God remembered him. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph's life was filled with betrayals. He was betrayed over and over. But God turned what they meant for evil for good. King Saul intended on killing David, but God did not give David into his hands. Jonah, he was in the belly of a whale, but God brought his life up from the pit. 
Jesus said, with man, things are not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And maybe the two best but God verses, you know, John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the Son has made him known. So thankful for that. And then Acts 2.24 says, Jesus was put to death by wicked men, but God raised him for our salvation. How about you? What's your but God story? I have several. Some, you know, super huge times where God intervened in my life or interrupted my life and changed the course of my life for something so much better. Maybe today you're in the middle of a hard trial. You're in the middle of a difficulty. Things look bleak for you. Defeat seems intimate, in, intimate for you. It's, it's, it defeats at your door. And I'm believing with you that you can have a vision that regardless of how hard things might be at the moment, whatever it is, that you're going to have a but God story. You're going to look back and say, yeah, life was terrible. It sucked. But God, he came to my rescue. He intervened and showed the way for me. This whole COVID crisis has created many opportunities for God to, to interrupt and intervene and change the course of people's life for his glory and for their good. As I said earlier, I have plenty of my own you know, stories where God interrupted into my life in a, in a great way or intervened in my life. Obviously, salvation you know, being number one of him revealing Jesus to me and becoming a follower of Jesus. But when I, right after I became a, a follower of Jesus, I had a, an immediate calling that I was supposed to give my life to pastoring and ministering. And I, I remember, you know, the first step I took was to go to Bible college. And about halfway through Bible college, I thought, eh, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I prayed about it and sought counsel. And the, 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 the prayer was answered with, just finish Bible college and see what God has for you. And little did I know, like sh so shortly after I took that st step of finishing that, that first step towards his calling, that God made it clear that that is what I was supposed to do with my life. And I've been doing ministry, you know, ever since. Years ago, due to some circumstances, um, I almost quit ministry. I almost stepped completely out of ministry. And what felt like a dead end actually became a detour for God to, to, to intervene, interrupt, and open a, a whole new door of ministry uh, for me. Had I not gone through that, that moment of, of thinking I was a dead end, I don't think Novation Church would have ever, it, you know, became what it is. It wouldn't have happened. And so you just look back and say, but God, uh, I had this plan or I was in this trial, I was in this difficulty, but God, he showed up. He intervened. We're in a series called Rooted, where we're looking at the book of Ephesians, the letter of Paul, he wrote the church at Ephesus that he had started. He stayed with these, these folks for three years. He discipled them. He raised up leaders. He, uh, 
he loved the church at Ephesus. And so this letter that we have preserved for us today to, to glean insight, Paul's insight for the church is for us today as well. And he was writing them to know how rooted they were in Christ and what they had in Christ. And so you and I get that same privilege today to understand that. And I think one of the, the greatest but God statements is found in the passage we're going to study together this morning, that we are rooted in grace. Paul is reminding them of who they are in Christ. He was reminding them of, of the depths of who they were without Jesus and the heights now of, of which God has brought us and seated us with Christ. So the as I unpack this, um, I'm going to use the, the word we rather than I or me and make it corporate, not individual. My good friend Chris Ingalls, who leads our spiritual growth ministry at Novation, said that he, he had an illumination to him that to read the, the book of Ephesians as reading it through a we, the church, not an I. And I thought that's really good insight. So glad he is over our spiritual growth ministry. <laughs> but the first truth is this. We were on a path to self-destruction, but God changed our direction. We were all on a path of self-destruction, whether we realized it or not, but God changed our direction. Here's what Paul says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, Paul is not talking just about the Ephesians. He's diagnosing the human condition outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, outside of someone, you know, when we're not following Jesus, when we're not in Christ. Now, he says that we were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead, what does that mean? It means we were unresponsive to truth, enable, unable to respond to truth. Jesus said that nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again meaning their spirit, which is dead, has to be raised to life by the Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery and it's a miracle, but it has to happen for us to see the kingdom of God. And if you can see the kingdom of God at work around you, if you care about the kingdom of God, then God has awakened your spirit to him and to truth. But we were spiritually dead before this happened. We were enslaved by sin. We were mastered by it. We were mastered by self-rule, self-interest, and self-indulgence. We obeyed the devil. Think about that. We obeyed the devil. The devil's the devil because he rebelled against God and wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God. If you ever really look at what Satanism teaches, it's not really about something with pitchfork and, and a guy with pitchfork and, and horns and all of that. Satanism is you become your own God. You rule your own life. You 
in fact worship yourself and you reject the idea that there's a God. I don't want that, nor do you. We obeyed our sinful nature and we stirred up the things that anger God. We served and, and stirred up the things that, that anger God. We were on a path to self-destruction, but God changed our direction because of Jesus. And you may be asking yourself the question, well, how do I know that's me? Because all of what we read, he says, we were this, but now we're something different, as we're going to find out. How do you know that that's, that's you or not? Well, let me just ask you a question. Which direction are you going in today? Are you walking closer to Jesus or are you walking further away from Jesus? Who's calling the shots in your life? You or Jesus? Who is in charge of your life? Now, and, and you got to remember, not, obedience in this life will never be perfect because we have this sinful body that we live in. But is obedience the path that we are trying to always stay upon to do what Jesus tells us to do? His path is the way to God. He is the way to God. He's also the way to godliness in our lives. So when we fall off the path, so to speak, we have to remember how to get back on. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the word of God shows us how to get on the path of Jesus. And it shows us when we get off the path of Jesus, shows us how to get back on the path, and then how to stay on the path. That's what the Word of God does for us. The second truth is this. We used to be lost trying to find out who we are, but God gave us a new and true identity. He gave you and I a new and true identity. Identity is, you know, who are we and do we matter? Like, what's the purpose? Why, why do I exist? That's, that's the understanding of identity. When you think of being lost, there's two ways of looking at being lost. There's being lost and you don't know it and you don't really care because if you don't know you're lost, then it, there's no fear in that. But depending upon where you are or where you're trying to go, if you're lost and you don't have the right directions, it can be scary. I've been in some scary places where, you know, dangerous places where I didn't know where I was going. That's, that kind of lostness is, is fearful. And sadly, I think that's the way a lot of people exist. They don't know who they are. They don't have any sense of identity or true self-worth. Paul continues, But God is so rich in mercy and he lo loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God wants our identity, who we are, our sense of self-worth, 
self-identity to be in his love, his grace, and his mercy. I think here is, is one of these things that we would call a positional truth. The book of Ephesians, like one of the main themes is the phrase, in Christ. Who we are in Christ, through Christ, and by Christ. That's the emphasis of this book. And so it's a positional truth of who we are that we need to learn how to live out practically. That positional truth that he just said was that as Jesus was dead, so were we. As Jesus was resurrected, as Jesus rose, we, we've been raised with Christ. As Je- It gets better. As Jesus is exalted, we are exalted with him. What an amazing truth. What an amazing place to find your self-worth and your self-esteem. Not in people or status or job. Find your self-worth in the King of Kings. You are seated in the heavenly realms with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wow. Now, I don't know why he chose to do that, but he did. It is a positional truth of who you are. If you're following and trusting in Jesus. Now, practically, are we living like people who believe this? Am I living like someone who is seated in the heavenly realms with the King of Kings, the creator of all things? Believing who I am in Jesus takes faith. Living out who I am in Jesus takes love. Faith and love. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. It's Love is something that's in action, and we, we show love for God by, by showing love for others. Live the way Jesus lived. That's the way he wants us to, to learn what life is about, is look at the life and lifestyle of Jesus and put that into practice in your very life today. Seated with Christ. Somebody once said this, they said, sin is me trying to sit in God's seat. The gospel is Jesus sat in my seat so I could sit in his. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. I think it's a picture of baptism, water baptism. Why do we do water baptism? It's not just a religious ceremony. It is a, it's a profound understanding to understand what water baptism is. It is symbolic of identifying with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's you, you know, dry in the water, and that you were dead and you died with Christ. You were buried with him. You go under the water, and then you come up out of the water, raised to new life, a new creation in Christ. That's what baptism is about. The third truth is we used to work hard for God to accept us, but God has changed how we relate to him. But God has now changed how we relate to him. Most people, if they have any belief in God, think God you know, has this scale. Does my good outweigh my bad? Does my bad outweigh my good? And sadly, many Christians see God that way as well. But God doesn't want us to relate to him through that, through, through our performance for him. Because we live and breathe and do everything by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God on our life because of Jesus, 
because of what, who he is and what he's done. Grace is his unconditional love for us. And it's found in Jesus. Outside of faith in Jesus, we're trying to have our good outweigh our bad. We tend to compare ourselves with other people. You know, well, I'm not as bad as that person, um, but I'm I'm not as good as that person. And the problem with comparison is we're always comparing ourselves with the wrong things. We should never compare ourselves with people. God doesn't want you to be like somebody else. He wants you to be like Jesus. (laughs) He wants you to learn how to think, act, and speak like Jesus would in any given set of circumstances or, or in your life. So he wants us to relate to him through grace, through the gift of his grace, and be thankful and have hearts of worship and praise for who he is and what he's done. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Listen, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life. He, he loved perfectly and he lived perfectly. He, had, he is the perfect righteous life. And within the gospel, it says through, through, through the understanding of what justification is, that God imputes or credits Jesus's perfect life to your account, so to speak. It's the ultimate perfect stimulus package of righteousness that's accredited to our account because of Jesus. That's amazing. That's why he he says we're holy and blameless and pure. All of the things that he said at the beginning of chapter 1 about who we are when we're rooted in Christ. These things are true of us. But Jesus also did something for us we could never do on our own and, and that he defeated the three enemies that we have. He defeated death by his resurrection. He defeated sin by his death on the cross. And he defeated the devil by his death and resurrection. He defeated the works of, destroyed the works of the enemy. Listen, I tried religion and legalism as a way to relate to God when I was younger. We all have this tendency to relate to God through performance. Did I do enough? Have I been good enough? You know, all of that. Do I believe hard enough? And we need to stop that. We need to relate to him through grace because I know when I related to God and wanted to be accepted by God based upon my performance, I was miserable. That's a miserable place to be. If that's you today where you see your life like, well, God can't love me because I, I can't live up to the performance. Stop trying. Get off the treadmill of that and begin to follow Jesus. Get off the treadmill of that and begin to let him take charge of your life and just commit to do what he says to do and pursue the kind of life that he tells us how to live and trust what is already true of you. He says that, that this is a, salvation is a gift from God. It's by grace we've been saved and that no one can boast. You know, boasting equals believing that we can earn our salvation, that we can boast about our performance. And also boasting is a means of 
trying to earn a sense of self-worth and, and identity is wealth. You know, we, if we boast about what we have, how we look, um, how much stuff we have, how successful we are, our status, we're trying to feel good about ourselves. And boasting gives us a sense of confidence when we're scared, when we're scared to face something. But what would a life, what does life look like without boasting? I think, first of all, it's a life of contentment. It's a life of contentment. It is, you look, look at what you have in your life. If you, it, it's not looking at it as though I've worked hard for this. I've earned this. It's, you look at the things in your life and say, wow, it's, this has been a gift. Everything I have, have is a gift from God. A life of not boasting looks like humility. It looks, it, it, it looks, it doesn't look at people through the eyes of judgment and criticism. It looks at people through the eyes of compassion and the eyes of, that could easily be me, but for the grace of God. That, that is a life of not boasting. And then I would say the third mark of, of a life that's a non-boasting life looks like forgiveness and mercy. Always forgiving, always merciful. Because a life of that, when we're living like that, we know that whatever's been done to me, I've done to others, or am very capable of doing that. So contentment, humility, forgiveness, and mercy, that's a life without boasting. And the fourth truth is this. We were on a search for purpose and significance, but God has given us real purpose and significance. Real purpose and significance. We search all our lives for, for, for something to make ourselves feel good about ourselves or to have something motivate our lives, to have a reason to get out of bed every day. Jesus Christ gives us the ultimate purpose and the ultimate significance. Verse 10, he says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Think about that for just a second. You are his masterpiece. That's quite the statement. You're his masterpiece. Let that sink in just for a moment. A masterpiece is something that people go, wow. This is my best work. You're his best work. That's how he sees you. That's what the gospel does for us. Because Jesus is the ultimate and he now lives in you and you're in him. We are his masterpiece. Find your self-worth, purpose, and significance in that. You're his masterpiece. And as his masterpiece, you are recreated in Christ to do good to do good things. We've been saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. It's always followed up with good fruit, fruits of, of the Spirit and fruits of, of good works. Let me start with significance for a second. Significance is the fact that, that it's, it's knowing that your life matters. It's knowing that your life can have impact on others. And God created us 
with this need for significance that only He can provide for us. You're His masterpiece. He has wired you in such a way and now rewired us in Christ so that we can love people and that we can do good in this world and be His ambassadors, be His representation of what God is like on this earth. And then you have purpose. You have the ultimate purpose. To know why we exist is the greatest revelation to me there is. It's the reason when I became, that kept me a follower of Jesus. Yes, I wanted to be forgiven of all my sin and guilt and shame, but as I continued to walk with Jesus, I realized, wait, following Him is the reason I'm alive, that He is the meaning of life. And to put His life into practice through, in my life gives an incredible purpose for each one of us. Your purpose in life is to be loved by God, to love God by loving your neighbor, by loving people, doing what He says to do. It's learning to live out practically who we are positionally. What God says about us becomes something of how we actually live out our new identity. Worth and, and value and significance is determined by perspective, maybe in, a, in using this illustration, by the owner of something. Let's say you own a car that the world looks at and goes, eh, it's a clunker. It's not really a great car. But to you, maybe it was a gift from your grandfather. Maybe you have great family memories. I, I don't know. But to you, you see it differently and ha see it with great value and great worth. I have a, what probably appears to you to be some kind of rock. What it actually is, is it's a piece of pottery. And I got it in Israel last March. Have I told you I've been to Israel lately? Um, I have actually. This, this piece of pottery is, was, came from, from Shiloh in Israel. When we, in the, in the book of Joshua, we see that the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle used to be mobile and it moved with the ch children of Israel. And in Joshua, it says that the, the tabernacle stayed there in Shiloh for 365 years. And um, then it went permanent in, in Jerusalem. But around where they know the tabernacle was for 365 years, it's a fascinating archaeological site that makes you go, yep, the Bible's legit. <laughs> and what would happen is the, the children of Israel, they would sacrifice and then they would eat the animal and they'd have a celebration. They would have the feasts, right? And they, after they would eat the food that was in the utensils, they would shatter the, the pottery, the clay pots, because it was a sign that never to be used again, that what they just did, the food that they just ate was holy. And so there's pieces of pottery going back to the time of, you know, Joshua, uh, all over the place. It's the one, one of the one places in Israel they allow you to take a piece of the archaeological site. So at, Sh at Shiloh, I, I prayed a significant prayer, asked God for something that I'm believing Him for. And so I keep this piece of pottery on my desk, believing God for something. So this may not look like much to other people. It's a significant value to me. And I also have, have this. It looks like a little commemorative 
coin, right? And it, it does look like that. It might not look like much to some, but it actually says United States Navy, go Navy. And on the front is the picture of, of my little sailor, my firstborn. My daughter Chase is, is in the Navy and uh, her husband is a Marine. But I got this little coin made the day that we went to watch her graduate from boot camp. One of the proudest father moments of my life, you know, to, to know my, my little baby girl made it through <laughs> boot camp and is excelling. So this, this is of extreme value to me. I wouldn't take anything for it. Again, all of that worth and value is determined by the owner, by perspective. You are of significant worth and value to your creator. You're so significant that he sent his one and only son to come and live and die and rise again in your place so that you could have life and life to the fullest, that you could know the, the significance of, of what your life is really about, your value. We're going to go into communion in just a minute. Hopefully you have your communion stuff with you. But what's your but God story? On our Facebook connection page, would you take a minute over the next days and, and you know, maybe today just write out, you know, my but God story is here's where God intervened in my life. Here's, you know, I was sick and he raised me up. I was heading down the wrong path and he intervened. What is your but God story? We want to share that. And if you're not on Facebook, feel free to email it to info at novationchurch.org. Love to hear and collect those but God stories. Those are really novation stories. Novation Church, we got our name from the word that means a new beginning, a fresh start. And we all have a novation story and he's writing that story. Maybe today for somebody that's watching, today's your but God story. <laughs> no, that sounds funny when you say it fast. But maybe your life's a mess. Maybe your relationships are a mess. Maybe you're you know, feeling purposeless. Maybe you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. And you could look back on May 3rd, 2020 and say, my life was a wreck. But on that day, God, but God came into my life that day. But God redeemed my life that day. But God intervened in my life that day. As you place your faith and hope and trust in Him and become His follower, His disciple. Maybe for somebody else, it's today's a, a day where you realize, man, I was, I've been heading backwards in my faith. I've been backpedaling with Jesus. And May 3rd, 2020, you know, you look back and say, man, I was backsliding, but God, but God intervened into my life and he, he brought me back to himself. He picked up the pieces and put me back together. As we take communion, all of us are saying yes to Jesus. Communion is not a, a religious 
act. It is a precious, um, it's, it's an act of worship. It's not just something religious that we do. It's something that we do because Jesus told us to do this. He taught his disciples to, at the Last Supper, to remember what he's done for us. The ultimate but God is, but God so loved the world. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would ever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we're saying yes to by taking the bread and the cup by faith. Positionally who we are in Christ, learning to live that out practically. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples and he took bread and, and he broke it. He lifted it to heaven and blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this body, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. It says, in the same way after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. And he told his disciples that the wine represented his, his blood that was going to be shed for the new covenant. The sacrifice of all sacrifices that no longer the blood of animals or any of that for atonement, that it was the atonement was in the blood that was, he was going to shed for them on the cross. He said, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Father God, thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your one and only son to bring us to you. Jesus, thank you for defeating death. Thank you for defeating sin. Thank you for defeating the enemy. Let us walk in your victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your power and your presence in our lives moment by moment. Empower us. Lord, for those that are hurting this morning, those that are in difficult situations, Lord, encourage their hearts with the truth. God, that they will look back and realize how much you moved in their life and how much you comfort them without even maybe them fully realizing that right now. Help us as your people to walk in your truth in the name of Christ, the name above every name. We all said, Amen. Novation, I love you and um, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Live in who you are in Jesus. Tell others the good news. Tell people about the Savior and what he's done for you. Don't forget to put your, your but God stories on our Facebook connection page or um, let us know at info at novationchurch.org how God's moving in your life. We want, to, we want to continue to encourage one another. God's up to big things. He's using, he's using you to change the world. I love you.
Have a great day.